Hey, we're still here at George Mason University. Uh, today, we are talking with Dr. Hans Vandemars, a professor at Arizona State University. Um, we will be discussing his recent paper, uh, Reversing Policy Neglect in U.S. Physical Education, a Policy-Focused Primer. Um, I'll link to the full site in the article, uh, for the article in the notes section. Uh, Hans, thanks for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for uh, inviting me. So, I am sorry. Uh, let, let me uh, let me just uh, first of all um, do some truth in advertising in the sense that this paper is a result of a team effort. Um, um, it, the, the, the paper is part of a special issue that's due out later this year in the Journal of Teaching and Physical Education. Um, my colleagues uh, Phil Ward, Murray Mitchell, and Hal Lawson were the the first um, uh, our, th this foursome. We we had about a almost a two-year uh, worth of, of email discussions and every once in a while uh, a phone discussion. But then at, at some point, either Phil or, or Hal suggested, you know, we, 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 need to, we need to write some of this up, all the different things that we discussed. It was a, it was a free-flowing discussion and it, it hit on a range of topics. And so um, the proposal was forwarded, it was accepted. And so, but in addition to Lawson and Mitchell and Ward, I also need to acknowledge that we, we did seek outside help, if you will, um, from uh, people like Jennifer Walt and Facet at Kent State, Sue Sutherland at The Ohio State University, Emily Jones at Illinois State, Zach Bados, and then also um, we, we invited Steve Vestas, uh, who is uh, like a representative from the National Association for Kinesiology and Higher Education, uh, Stephanie Morris, who is uh, Shape America's CEO. And of course, Darla Castelli was invited as well. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, the the issue is intended to get people um, in higher education because JTP is, is read primarily by higher ed folks to focus on on looking forward and and what needs to happen, what we think is is, is necessary for physical education to thrive. And um, it, it is something we, we took essentially more of an ecological approach by saying, okay, we cannot just focus on K-12. We cannot just focus on PEAT. We cannot just focus on doctoral PEAT. So when the special issue comes out, you will see that we're hitting all these, what we call systems. And, and changes in one system have consequences for all the other systems mm -hmm. in place, right? And so, um, basically, the, the, it, it, it's just intended to get people in higher ed, especially, to uh, to look forward and say, look, doing the same thing we've been doing for the last what century uh, ain't going to cut it anymore because the landscape has changed and, uh, and 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 continues to change rapidly. And and COVID is just one uh, one aspect. Uh, the 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 inequities, the, the, the social economic inequities, the, uh, the problems that have been brought forth by George Floyd's uh, death and many others, uh, all of this is, is just changing the landscape for, for not just physical education, but schools in general. Yeah. And so we hope, we hope that um, this, this uh, special issue will, will um, trigger um, uh, discussions, uh, but we also need to get past the discussions and, yeah. and uh, look at tangible, tangible changes. And so, yeah. and so one of the, one of those tangible changes could be policy. 
you talk in this paper about policy neglect. Can you explain what you mean by policy neglect, and especially from the U.S. <laughs> yeah. point of view? Yeah, so within the United States, uh, long ago, and I'm talking the early part of the 20th century, actually, um, the importance of policy was, and, and when I say policy, I'm talking about whether it's uh, school district level policies, uh, state level policies, uh, federal policies. Uh, in, in physical education, in the early days of, of American physical education, until about the 50s, uh, 60s, um, actually, uh, state governments were paying more attention to what was going on in, in physical education. And I write about this in a different paper as well, uh, in, in, a, in a paper in a Quest, where, the, like, for example, in New York, there were supervisors from the state were steaming across the state, visiting schools, checking to see what was going on. Since then, um, we, the, the field as a whole has, has seemed to have lost sight of the important role that, that what we call strong policies can have on, on how physical education is delivered, both in terms of the quantity and the quality. And so um, we, we've, and, and, and this is not just uh, K-12 physical educators, it's, it's peak faculty, uh, it, it's doctoral, doctoral peak faculty, folks that are preparing future generations of professors in our area. Uh, and so we just have lost uh, focus and we just don't seem to, we have not seemed to pay attention much to it. Uh, and, and, and at the risk of sounding critical uh, of the field, I'm, I'm not really critical. It's just that we were busy doing other things. We were, we were trying to start focusing on building an evidence base, for example, within sport pedagogy. Uh, and and so I think we 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 need to we need to refocus, if you will, and and recognize that uh, strong policies at the state level, especially, uh, can create conditions that make it possible for for K twelve teachers professionals to to bring about meaningful outcomes. And, and I, I know that the field has for years grappled and fought over, well, what is our subject matter? What should we be focusing on? And those are battles that will continue, I suspect. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but um, w meaningful outcomes can only be accomplished um, if, if conditions are such that teachers have time to, to work with students. Uh, and I, I, I do address some of that in the paper um, in terms of how much time do teachers actually get with kids? And, and how much time does a youngster who goes to a full uh, slate of, of grade levels in the district, how much time does he or she have physical education? And it's right. not much. Yeah. Um, so. so do you think that you said in the 50s, 60s, we started to kind of slip in focusing on policy and it, it started to coincide with building the evidence base. Do you feel like there's other reasons for like why we missed the policy boat? Because if we look at, if we look at education policy in the US, like there's a lot of really good scholarship, really good research in education policy outside of PE. Like when people talk about educational policy researchers, they refer to some American scholars and there's a lot of stuff being done. ESSA, No Child Left Behind, going back and forth between these big, big, big conversations about charter schools and all this stuff. So like where, where, why did PE kind of fall off on this? Well, I, I think uh, physical education has not been part of those those discussions and th that research 
because physical education has never really been at the table, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, be it in, in K-12, uh, in, in, in higher education. I mean, look, look at what happened when, when the exercise science folks started to sort of strut their stuff and, and you know, starting in the 60s, uh, we needed to become more of an academic subject. And, and I, think, I, I think that in part contributed to the fact that physical education faculty in, in higher red started to recognize that we need we need to uh, maintain our place in, in higher ed and, and I think that's where the emphasis is on sport we started to to uh, influence how we spend our time as as um, higher ed faculty on top of that and I think I addressed that in the paper um, that, that there's not much reward if you will uh, to, to spend a lot of time focusing on policy. Uh, and, and when I say policy, I'm, I'm not talking about program promotion in, in, in an elementary school or, or at a district level. We're talking to bring about state level legislation that is supportive of a particular subject, okay? Um, yes, there are quite a, quite a number of ed policy scholars in the US and there's, there's been lots of discussion and, and they write a lot about it. But the question becomes, how does, how do, how does educational policy research inform uh, legislators? Because uh, ultimately we need to translate what we find in terms of the impact of physical education in our case, or the impact of good reading instruction. How do we impact policy makers um, to to uh, uh, create and, and propose legislative bills uh, that get enough support from both sides of the aisle, if you will, um, that it passes. And I, I would have to argue that as, as much research as being done on, on that policy um, has, has it impacted um, what happens in schools. And I think that the lack of, of of uh, translation of evidence, uh, the lack of communication advocating with state level and for that matter, uh, federal federal level uh, legislators, uh, the folks in Washington, the lack of, of time spent um, working with these folks to try and support legislation that helps kids, um, that probably has contributed as well. And so, yeah, yeah, and I and I think that. You know, you, you're right on in the sense that if we're wanting to make change at the legislative level, so passing bills and getting senators and state senators and representatives to, you know, make education policy change, it should be, we should be coming to them with some research, but we haven't done the research. And so it's hard for us to convincingly give people arguments. And I guess that's the, the, conversation between advocacy and policy of, you know, how are we advocating for certain things and who should be an advocate? And so I, I don't really know which question to go to next because I, I could go so many different routes here. Well, you were going to say something about, uh, you know, who are the policy actors and who should be policy actors. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. We all um, and, and again, when I say we all are, I mean K-12 professionals, peak faculty, and, and those those who prepare uh, professors. We, we all have a dog in this fight, I think. Um, and uh, we, we don't all have to do the same thing, right? So different different roles for different folks. Uh, 
just like in a hockey team or a baseball team, not everyone is going to end up being the cleanup hitter, right? And mm-hmm. so K-12, K-12 professionals can do good, important advocacy at the school and the district level. I shouldn't say simple things, but the simple thing of what, what makes for a good teaching schedule, okay? How do, how, how do, we, how do we help teachers uh, advocate for a, a proper te- uh, teaching schedule that doesn't have classes jump back and forth between developmental levels in the elementary school? Uh, peak faculty, I think, have a role to play by when, 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 uh, when, when a, uh, a teacher in the district asks um, a higher ed faculty member, a peak faculty member to come and speak at the school board, you know, if, if the schedule allows it, help them out. Uh, uh, peak faculty can spend some time at the legislature. This afternoon, I'm supposed to be in a meeting with two members that are connected to the governor in Arizona and yet policy area. And we're gonna we're gonna actually try to make some proposals and, and inform and try to again lay the groundwork for putting in millions of dollars uh, into school physical education and health education. We're, we're talking five hundred million dollars in the state of Arizona. That seems like an awful lot, but what we're doing is we're connecting with the access system in Arizona, and we're also going to connect with the health insurance companies like Blue Cross Blue Shield, United Healthcare. Who have a vested interest in, mm-hmm. in supporting proposals like this? Now, I'm, I'm, I, have, I have to be honest. I'm, I'm not an expert in that area any, in any way, but my colleague Scott Turner is, and he's laying out a, a comprehensive uh, proposal to try and convince the governor to support this. And this is not a, a one-year, one-time thing. This would be more sustained funding over over multiple years, and and so. Uh, a doctoral, doctoral peak faculty, I think, can help by by um, by helping doctoral students learn about the importance of, of, of uh, the role of policy. And we talk, we, we call it in the paper, we call it policy literacy. Mm-hmm. We'll learn more about about the you know, you know, the concepts and and the, the strategies, et cetera. I mean, advocacy and and policy are intricately related, obviously. Uh, and it requires a skill set. Uh, how, how do you talk to legislators? And um, how do you make connections? And um, how do you make sure that you're connecting with folks and with other organizations that have a, that have a similar interest in, in the health and well-being of of, uh, of children and youth? Yeah. So, and and you bring that up in the paper too about playing nice in the sandbox. I don't remember what you what you. What you wrote it as playing nice with others, so you're aligning with other organizations, but also not necessarily always talking to the legislator themselves, but talking to the staffers to oh, understand yeah. that that's yeah. where the that's where the the progress is made, and talking to them, having them explain to their legislator about what you what you're talking about. And 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 you know you, you, the, the point is that you, you you rarely get much time with an actual. House of Representatives member or, or as a state senator, you end up talking with the staff members. And so getting to know who's on the staff, uh, getting to, and obviously you, you need to understand and recognize the political leanings of, of both of the state uh, senator as well as um, other folks in the, in, the, in the legislature. We live in a state that's now considered purple, but generally speaking, we're still pretty red. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, you, you need to be cognizant of that 
then, then, then essentially it's, it's, it's a game, right, uh, that's being played. And we have to have, just like we have to have skills and techniques and tactics to be able to play a game of badminton, we, we need to learn how to play the game in the area of policy and, and advocacy. Uh, and that's a skill set that, that needs to be developed over time. It doesn't just appear. Yeah. So, so in, in your paper, you also talked about the lacking of a reward structure for P faculty. That in, yeah. in, like in a position, let's say I'm an assistant professor and I'm in, impacting policy, it doesn't count as a peer-reviewed publication. It doesn't count as a, as a grant necessarily. So for, for someone in your position who's a full professor, you don't necessarily need that like reward structure for a promotion or something like that. Obviously, you have to do your job, right? But what? How do we fix that? Like, or how can people well, get around it or yeah. and narrate it in a way that they are showing that that's as impactful or more impactful than publishing papers? That's a very that's a very good question. Um, clearly, the, the 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 focus has become increasingly on on generating knowledge, new knowledge, and, and replicating existing knowledge and certifying that further. Um, I, I think uh, Pete faculty uh, as a group um, on their own campuses, like you on your campus, um, you can advocate to your department chair, to your college dean, um, that this work is important and, and it's part of service, right? This, this isn't scholarship. When, when I steam over to the, uh, the state senate house in, or the state senate building in, in Phoenix, um, that, that's not that wouldn't be considered scholarship, but it's it's important service, and so the 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 goal for this type of advocacy would be to say, look, universities, and this goes all the way up to the provost and the president. Um, I was on a university promotion and tenure committee a few years ago, and, and clearly the focus is on research at a, at a place like ours at Arizona State, uh, but there are ways of trying to slowly build in. Um, rewards, if you will, or, or make make uh, time spent uh, dealing or, or, or working with legislators, policymakers, uh, at the district level and at the state level, as an important task um, that that should be recognized and rewarded. And so, um, and I think universities start to. Um, recognize more and more that that they have a responsibility of, of uh, impacting the local community, uh, whether it's whether it's the city in which the university is located or the state in which it is located, and so impacting the community in which we function um, through doing you know advocacy targeting uh, policy um, that that should be rewarded, and mm -hmm. so you have a chance to work with your department chair with your dean. And, and, and those folks can be helpful in terms of trying to show, look, if these are the criteria for promotion and tenure in our college, we build it in, then the rest of the, the layers of, of decision-making on your promotion and tenure decision or promotion to full professor, um, that, needs to be, that needs to be recognized. Mm -hmm. And so somebody's position description could include a surface component that needs to be recognized. Yeah. And so, so I mean, it's easy easy to propose that. Yeah. Getting it done is a different issue. Mm -hmm. But there's there's an opportunity there to impact policy. Yeah. At, at the university level, if you will. Absolutely. In your own workplace. So I think one of the most 
like visual and most known advocacy moves by Shape America specifically is the Speak Out Day, right? This idea of getting everybody together, training them one day, then going around the Capitol, flying all these people in, going to offices, and advocating for these three things that they're trying to say. So that's a one day a year event, right? So is that the right way to go about it? Should that be more of a prolonged year long thing? Should it be a letter writing campaign? What do you feel like is the best advocacy that people in Pete or as K to 12 educators, how could they advocate outside of a well-run once-a-year event, but also costing thousands of dollars for people to fly from California, you know, Washington, Oregon, all these different places to come in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll I'll probably get castigated and taken behind the shed in, in, in Spain, but um, <laughs> I, I think for the amount of money that is invested, well, both time and money, uh, for for uh, teachers to go to Washington and get a chance for a photo op with a senator, a U.S. senator or, or a congressman or a woman. Um, it, 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 I think in the long run, it may not be the, the, the best investment. Um, constitutionally, uh, the federal government is supposed to keep its hands off education, which of course it hasn't. It has not done that. But um, the real action, as, as Judy Rink has said long ago, uh, the real action is at the state level, and because education is supposed to be uh, under local control, as they say right now. Districts and states differ in, in terms of how to define local control, but I mean, I cannot think of another country that that has local control in its, in its constitution. Um, and so, um, I think the real the real uh, if you want to get your biggest bang for your buck. Um, we ought to we ought to focus on helping state associations become a more uh, powerful advocate for state level uh, policy development and change. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, uh, I'm not saying that Shape America shouldn't do Speak Out Day, um, but I think that the time and energy and money invested in that could be rerouted to to helping state associations. Now, state associations are separate entities from from shape america so there's that little little conundrum there how do we how do we get the national association to work together with state associations because they're independent organizations mm -hmm. from shape mm -hmm. right? but um if, if if we want the biggest bang for our buck i think we, we have to focus on helping people at the state level yeah. to uh to do advocacy and do it well yeah and that's where i think uh, the, the, the National Association can help state associations by having ongoing or continuing continuous uh, professional development that, that specifically focuses on how do we become better advocates, uh, both for, for our programs, for the profession, uh, how do we bring about policy change. Yeah. So wh what, what are the more popular policies in U.S. physical education? Like what are, what is our country like fight for in general like what are what are the most popular policies that are being advocated on <laughs> uh, so you're talking about policy specific to physical education right yeah so um so yeah 
<laughs> I, I've had discussions with people about, uh, with colleagues, about um, our, our national documents, right? The, the national documents that provide recommendations for, for uh, minutes per week, mm -hmm. right? And um, those recommendations, I mean, um, I, I don't see them as policies they, they are documents that can support policies. So there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a fine difference between the two. And, and just because we recommend, like Shape America recommends 150 minutes of physical education for all K-6 kids, um, that's a recommendation and nothing more. What we do with it can become part of an advocacy campaign that, that goes across all the different states and say, look, we, we need more time. So the, 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 and so for, in, the for international listeners, just to understand, like the reason Shape America has documents and not necessarily policies is because we don't have an inter, like we don't have a national curriculum. So Shape recommends, and we hope that in the states people are adopting, or or Shape hopes that they are adopting the same kind of requirements. But Shape can only put out recommendations with really strong language and hope that people advocate for those. So it's not happening in, in most states. Yeah. I don't think any state has exactly the shape. Uh, maybe one state has the exact shape national recommendations, but... Um, oh, even Illinois is gone. Okay, yeah. I knew that Illinois was that one holdout for a long time. I wasn't sure if they had changed that. Yeah, we... we uh, I think it was 2006. 17 the legislature did away with that mm. um, it, it made the news in, in Chicago of course and um, and uh, yeah so even even Illinois apart from the fact that school districts and schools found a way around the 150 minutes but right. uh, you know every day all you know K through 12 but um, they, they've done away with it um, yeah so uh, Shape America, uh, to its credit, uh, along with, at the time, the American Heart Association published those Shape of the Nation reports every three, four years, um, and they were able to, to, to track um, the, 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 the state-level requirements across a whole menu of, of policy areas, right, topics like exemptions, waivers, substitution, state testing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, qualified personnel. Having qualified and certified personnel, so all these these policy areas were being tracked periodically. Um, there are some other tracking systems, but um, clearly we're, we're not meeting the recommendation that that Shape America has had, and we haven't met that for like multiple decades. Yeah. Uh, before it became America, AFRIT had those recommendations as well, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, for that matter, that the national recommendations for physical activity. The 60 minutes of health enhancing moderate or vigorous physical activity, the focus on strength, uh, strength conditioning activities. Those are also recommendations. That's, that's what's put out by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Mm -hmm. And so those are recommendations as well, and they're all evidence-based. Um, but clearly, the, 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 the environment is not, not, has not been created to help support those recommendations and help people meet those recommendations. Yeah. And that's where I think the advocacy and, and creating the state level policies come in. Yeah. So. And in the paper, you, 
you showed what that minute requirement would actually cost. Can you talk about that? Because, and, I, and I think you talked about this in one of the peak collaborative uh, meetings as well about, um, about policies. Like we, we're pushing minute requirements, but we're not taking into consideration what the structural costs of building out extra gyms and hiring new teachers to teach it. So can you share about what the poss- like what the reality would look like if we did do exactly what people are advocating for? Yeah. I, I have to cheat and go to my slides where I have that information because I can no longer um, remember all these exact numbers. Uh, by They're heart. big but, numbers. Um, what's that? They're big numbers. And, and, and before I share the example, and because it ties into the minutes per week, right? I'm not saying that Shape America should not advocate for 150 minutes of education for all kids K through six. I'm not saying that we should not advocate for $225 million, uh, uh, $225 million, uh, $225 minutes of physical education in junior high and, and high school. But what I think we need to come to grips with is what are the financial uh, implications. And so with a colleague in, in a, a district that's, that's nearby, um, which is one of the fifth or, or sixth largest district in the country, Currently, the district has 56 elementary schools, and it has roughly 80 elementary school, certified elementary school teachers, right? Um, so a number of those are, are itinerant teachers or traveling teachers. So the district cost uh, currently uh, the average annual salary, including all the benefits, because that always gets forgotten. Mm-hmm. Um, per teacher is just under 66, and, and these are numbers now that are two years old, um, $66,000, okay? So that's just the current number of teachers, each teacher gets 66, and that, that's the average, because there's beginning teachers, mm-hmm. experienced So for the whole district, uh, that district pays just over $5.2 million in salaries and benefits. If we were to ask, if, if we were to say, okay, this district is going to go to 150 minutes of physical education, we would need, or that district would need to hire 162 more teachers. That's, a, that's a, almost a 16 million, because now we have 80 teachers plus one, 162. Mm-hmm. That now comes to about almost $16 million annually. This is mm-hmm. a recurring cost annually just for physical education teachers. There's more. The, these are, let's call them, not recurring costs, but one-time costs, mm-hmm. right? Um, wh- what do you think the cost is of a building, a new gymnasium building? For a couple million school? dollars? A couple of million, two million dollars, give or take, mm-hmm. right? So the total construction for 56 new additional gyms at each of those schools, one at each school, is $112 million. Okay, then there's also because we happen to be in Arizona where the weather is always beautiful, not all year around, but um, we have to have outdoor teaching spaces. Mm-hmm. So the cost of a new outdoor teaching area is usually roughly around $80,000. So the total construction for that across all those schools is roughly, well, just under four and a half million dollars. So when you start to add up those numbers, right. Um, is, is a school district going to say, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and do that. Yeah. Okay. I mean, 
when when they're asked to write the check, they cannot deliver, so therefore the policy doesn't pass, right? Well, yeah, I mean, we, we will not meet the recommendation for that yeah. in that district. Yeah. And, and, um, and so the question becomes, do we continue to push for 150 minutes or do we say, look, can we, can we get back to two times 30 minutes? Uh, can we get maybe three lessons of 30 minutes? Mm -hmm. uh, they're still going to add a cost, but those numbers may not be as, you know, cardiac arrest shocking as, right. as, as the numbers I compared. Uh, and so I, I, I think we just need to come to grips with, with what is it that we really want and what we really need. We can't do it all even in 150 minutes per right. week. And, so, and of course, that's where, you know, that's where I think having the CISPAP framework in place can help in that we do create opportunities for kids to be active beyond just the two times 30 minutes or three times 30 minutes mm -hmm. um, before, during, and after school. Mm -hmm. so. and, and it makes sense in that taking those smaller steps is to advocate at the state level because if Illinois just cut back a couple of years ago, they might be able to inch back up easier and their steps look very different than somewhere where they're only getting you know, 45 minutes once a week of PE they add to two days a week and that's a better step than, than nothing. And so um, if the 150 minutes is too big of a leap, I think that makes sense and advocating at the local level, understanding what you can do. We certainly, we certainly do not want to give up anymore, if you will. Right. Yeah. Um, because once, once you've given it up, it, it's, it's very difficult to get it back. Um, I mean, that's, that's a reality. Um, but, uh, that's why I think where where strong advocacy and having having this the advocacy skill set can start to make a difference potentially. Mm -hmm. I, I want to make sure too that that the audience um, understands that I'm I'm not arguing that uh, policies and uh, strong state level policies are the panacea. Um, as I mentioned earlier, they're they're a prerequisite condition that they can help create the prerequisite condition because giving more time to physical education without any expectations, for example, for demonstrating that the investment we make um, makes a difference. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't wash, right? right? More time for math instruction that's, shall we say, shitty, um, yeah. is, is not going to help kids do better math. And yeah. so... Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure that's but... Yeah. So, in your paper, you cited uh, the Burson et al. 2021 systematic review that just came out, another special issue, I think, from RQES, that that paper found 37 published PE policy papers. And in brief, they basically found that most papers were descriptive. They focused on time allocation, but not a lot of focus on things like class size exemptions or the actual effect of these policies, which is one thing that was really interesting to see that there weren't really research studies that looked at what's the effect of this policy we put it into effect so with that it highlights a lot of the po policy neglect that you've talked about now if you were in a ideal world you had the funding to do whatever study you wanted what type of policy study would you develop or would you want somebody else to do that would be like a gold standard great policy study in the U.S. context? Um, I'm, 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 well, 
let, let me change the, the well, let, let me answer this final. First of all, I think we, we need a more comprehensive and, and more coherent research agenda. Um, it, it, at this point, it, it's, it's uh, a bit of a hit and miss effort. I mean, this, this first <coughs> review, um, I, w I was in some sense tickled that the 31 papers made the cut, so to speak. Uh, but we, we need we need more similar research uh, that's been done so far, and so I think if we can come up with a, a coherent research agenda, which I'm, I'm hoping to to build one in the next year or so, and and see if it can see the light of day, uh, together with some other colleagues, um, I think that would be helpful. Uh, I think within doctoral peak programs, we need to build capacity for people to learn more about policy, learn more about the role of policy research, how to go about doing policy research, because otherwise it, it will remain a, a free-for-all and, and a very sporadic and, and uh, incoherent effort to, uh, to build research that can support the policy recommendation or the legislation. Um, I think Darla Castelli in, in, in building the paper that you referred to by Sherry Burson and her and, and uh, Shannon Mulhern, um, co-authors, um, talked about uh, tracking the, the upstream and downstream effects of, of policy. And so clearly a, a research agenda needs to look at what happens when we happen to catch a particular state, for example, that says, you know what, we're going to invest in, in health and physical education. It's been neglected uh, for too long. Um, we, we need to create a mechanism, and I'm not sure if it's a research center, but somehow a national policy center that, that is able to track in, in essentially real time what the status is of, of policies at the state level. And then when a state decides to implement certain important physical education and health education support policies, whether that translates downstream, if you will, um, into appreciable and, and, and important changes in terms of some of the outcome metrics, be it physical activity levels, skill learning, what have you. Yeah, and I think, you know, the... One study, as, as you know, one study isn't going to isn't going to uh, you know change change the, the rotation of the earth if you will yeah and i think the uk has done this and in, in, in england uh matt kurtner smith did a study in 1999 <laughs> that talked about uh the effects of policy uh and they did a new national curriculum and he followed up and basically noticed that most teachers just didn't change Frank Harrell just came out with one in 2020. I just had him on the podcast this year uh, that talked about a similar uh, policy change that happened and he interviewed and it was basically the similar results from 20 years ago that basically teachers see the paper, they don't necessarily get the professional development needed to implement it. They don't fully comprehend all of the changes that are happening because they don't have the time to read through every single policy issue and so they continue teaching how they they kind of assume the policy is. And Penny talks about policy slippage, right? That policy is slipping through and then it becomes whatever the teacher makes. So I think there's there's great opportunities in individual states. Most states have their 
standards on review, have their policies on review. Shape America is redoing their standards. It would be really interesting for somebody to go in and look at, okay, Shape America just implemented these policies, the, the recommendations in quotes. What effect do those have in, in schools? What effect does the Virginia standards of learning have when they get changed and all of a sudden all the teachers have to do these new things? Like, we don't know that. Yeah. So, so um, <laughs> as I said earlier, policies are not the panacea, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so when, when England, uh, and, and of course since then also, Australia has implemented a new national curriculum. And, and the results have not been, shall we say, stellar. Um, what, what happens uh, is that, as you mentioned, that there's really no professional development that's, that's in support of helping teachers implement the model. Now, in Ireland, there may be some things going on because they've also done a, 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 an important, they've, they've had an important initiative to improve the quality of physical education. That probably needs to be looked at more closely. What, what are the downstream uh, effects of that? Um, it's it, 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 it's not just one thing. I mean, my 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 task was to highlight policy, right? But continuing professional development, continuous professional development, has to come along with that. It. It's not just one thing that's going to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. So, obvious. I mean, I vaguely remember back in the early '80s at at the AFRD convention, the national convention, there was a discussion, a large symposium about should we or should we not have a national curriculum? Christ, if if, if England can't can't get a national curriculum to, to make a dent, how do we expect in a country with now 335 million or so people, how do we expect that country to have a national curriculum and, and make an impact? And that's why, again, state-level governments are, are the ones that we need to target. Yeah. And I think so, that it's even harder, like it's, it's hard to measure the effect of policy. Because if you say that one thing's going to change, let's say we do minute requirements, well, what does that look like in a low socioeconomic school versus a private school versus a really well-funded public school? The quality of teachers that go to places that are paid better, like all of those things, it's a constantly moving environment. And so how do you, how do you measure and say, because of the effect of this policy, these changes happened? Well, so think, so think in terms of, of the the building of the capacity to track all that how, yeah. do, how do we get to the point where we, where we have a sense of, where we can be confident that we have the tools and the human resources to track whatever possible changes might be occurring as a consequence of improved policies state level policies yeah. um, and and that and, and i i'm starting to sound like a broken record but um, we, we need strong policies. We, we need policies that have some reporting requirements. Um, and um, we, we passed this recess bill in 2018 in Arizona, but there is no there is no oversight. Um, and uh, consequently, we've done a, a, an initial survey uh, of members of our state association, and oh, only about half of the schools are implementing the policy. And that, again, that's self-reporting, right? Mm -hmm. And we hope that whoever, whoever filled in the survey or the questionnaire uh, was truthful and, and knowledgeable about how much actual recess was occurring. That's why 
having something like uh, what what Tom McKenzie talks about or Maine's uh, ground truth thing. We, we have to have on-site um, observations of yeah. what actually is going on. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's expensive. It's expensive uh, and, so it, and it most likely will be fought by a lot of teacher organizations and unions yeah. who are saying, no, you're not going to come into my school and observe me as an outsider. So... Interesting. So let me let me finish off with this last question. Like, where should we go as a field from here? You've gave some actionable steps already, but what are kind of like some highlights of if if a person in the Pete organization or Pete University is listening to this or a K to twelve educator, what are some steps that they could take from now that they could they can act over summer or in, when they get back to school? You mean act, actionable strategies? Yeah, whether it's individual or bringing people yeah. together to make um, a change. Yeah, yeah. So uh, l- let me let me break it down, and, and I'm borrowing from the, the the ninth chapter in the special issue uh, that's coming out later. Okay, so we we recommend that some of, some of the following action strategies, as we call them, uh, for for the folks who are teaching in the K through twelve system as well as the students who are in, in physical education, te- uh, teacher education programs, our PEAT majors, um, we, we would argue that right off the bat, we can, we can have them focus on little P as, as Hal Lawson calls it. So the, the district, uh, the, the school and the district level policies. So within that is to, to create what we call advocacy or policy literacy bring bring about awareness of how policies can potentially impact um, what happened the quantity and quality of physical education both positively and negatively okay like no child left behind produced a reduction in the number of minutes of recess a reduction in the number of minutes in, in physical education in social studies the two subjects where the number of minutes went up was English language arts and mathematics that's a negative consequence of a federal policy, a federal, well, actually a law, okay? Mm-hmm. So the other thing is uh, we have to start creating uh, policy uh, advocacy experiences for K-12 personnel and, and majors as well. For peak faculty, we, we have to start getting them to focus on, on both the little P and the, large, uh, the big P, if you will. Um, and that is, again, build awareness uh, by, by learning more about policy research and policy and, and, and learn about advocacy and how to do it. Um, <clears throat> learn more about what your state-level policy is. In other words, does, does a Pete faculty member in, let's say, Delaware, does he or she know what the, the state-level policy is with regard to uh, substitutions? Can someone uh, sign up for junior ROTC? If if the Pete faculty member is not isn't, and I'm not saying that the Pete faculty member in Delaware is not aware, but if he or she is not aware of that, she is not he or she is not in a position to do something about it because mm-hmm. there's illiteracy, right? So the other thing is that Pete faculty can do is start tracking what's going on at the state level as far as legislation that's coming forward. And, and, and I, I was, I was uh, disappointed that, that Shape America was unable to build that legislative action center that they were planning on building where you could just simply go to your own state and track 
what's coming down the pike. And, and mm. that, that's a lovely, a very effective mechanism to stay up to date on some of those things. And then, of course, for Pete Hankley, is to support the state association um, in, in anything possible. Uh, we, we, you know, I, I wrote about that in the paper as well, as we were asked to, you know, reach national and international prominence. Well, we can't forget about the natives, if you will. Uh, we have to help out our, our folks in the, in the local areas. And mm-hmm. so help, help the state association make policy a more prominent aspect of its efforts. Uh, because state associations are run largely by K-12 personnel, K-12 teachers who are volunteers. They, it comes out of their hide, and so any anything we as Pete faculty can do to support them, I think, I think is is a step forward. As far as um, prospective PhDs and in, in, in doctoral Pete programs, um, <laughs> as Daryl Seedentop used to say, read, read, read. On, on policy literature, um, uh, and, and we can't just use the, the USA Today approach by reading the headlines and two lines of text and, and think that we know everything there is to know about policy. Um, get get your doctoral students uh, create an interest and start maybe diving into doing some policy related research and help build that, that research agenda around policy. So that's another area. Um, perhaps work across across programs across the country. Um, if there was a way to maybe create some some um, um, state level uh, uh, in, internships, we, we 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 can call them internships with state legislators or staffers of the legislators. And then, of course, we've got the professional associations, both in both Shape America and all the state associations. We've got to start building uh, advocacy resources. Where where does a teacher in North Dakota go to find out where can I find the evidence that's important for me to use and translate for my school district, my school board in my district? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, where, where do we go? I mean, those, I think those are those are tangible action items. And the last one is, is just, as I mentioned before, the ongoing professional development uh, initiatives, either at the state level or national level, where where teachers <coughs> and PEAT faculty as well can tap into to, to develop that policy literacy. Yeah. So, so those, those, are, those, are the, those are the key points that, that we offer in that closing chapter in the special issue. And I think it's, it's not going to happen overnight, but we, we've got to start making it a priority. Yeah. I mean, we've waited long enough, so I, I feel like it is it is time to time to step up. I, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, I think the policy piece is a huge, huge, huge portion. And I've listened to you give, uh, give talks at different conferences, and you always kind of refer to this. And um, you know, you, you keep going back to the, this idea of like you need to be active in that state legislator and go in and and meet the people who who are making those decisions. And, and I think you're right that physical education hasn't had a seat at the table that's making those big decisions for for a while. So um, I think well, we've, we've been down, we've been beaten down so often, so long. Uh, uh, Judy Rink refers to it as the, the "woe is me" culture. Mm-hmm. that we've created for ourselves and, and uh, you know, everyone is out to get physical education. I, I don't think principals uh, in, in of themselves or school board members by definition 
are against physical education, but they have to make decisions based on, on evidence, uh, evidence as far as what are the finances and, and those kinds of yeah. things and, and other aspects. And I mean, if you want to, if you want to uh, see a, an example of strong policies and actions, when when No Child Left Behind came out back in 2001, when that was that legislation was passed, guess what? Everybody started paying attention to how well kids were reading and, and doing mathematics, and and uh, and so and there were consequences associated with that. So they were strong. So um, anyway. I've, I've gone on too long already. No, I, I could keep talking forever, but um, let's let's uh, cut it here, and we'll uh, we'll hopefully get some of the people who are listening to uh, to do some good advocacy work that hopefully leads to the passing of small steps first, small step policy, uh, and making a bigger difference in our community. Thanks, Hans. I will die a happy. Take care. Just a quick note at the end, uh, we're going to run some of our uh, other episodes that we've done previously, ones that maybe we've done a little bit uh, earlier when other people have not discovered this podcast um, over the summer. Um, for three years, I've been running these every single week on Tuesday mornings at 7 a.m. I don't think I've missed a week, um, and I'm really, really happy with all the uh, people who have been listening, who've been sharing these, who've been using them in classes, who've been using them as a part of professional development. But um, this summer, um, I am taking a little bit of paternity leave, so I'm going to hang out with my uh, newborn daughter, and I'm going to get back to recording brand new episodes uh, once the semester starts again. So um, thank you everybody for listening. Thank you for your support. Um, it really means a lot, especially for those of you who are um, suggesting other people to reach out to, to get more uh, different views, different points of view, different diverse experiences, different types of research um, onto it, uh, onto the podcast. So uh, thanks everybody. And we'll catch you in the fall. If you're still listening, you're probably really into health and physical education. So I'm going to use this opportunity to pitch our master's program to you if you don't have your master's degree yet. Um, our 100% online master's degree program we offer at George Mason is affordable. You can do it while teaching, and it's high quality. Um, Mason was listed as one of the top 50 universities under 50 years old in the world. Our education department was ranked in the top 10 nationally for the online master's degree program in curriculum and instruction. The master's degree uh, revolves around your teaching. So you'll use assignments from the classes to immediately apply research and best practices to your classes. You'll be part of a tight-knit cohort of health and physical education professionals who are passionate about teaching. You're also going to get an opportunity to interact with students in other content areas. So if you're interested, you can email me, look me up on Twitter, or you can go on the hpewebsite.com under study with us and watch a video that I've made.